Can we just give the kids a big round of applause? <laughs> it's so awesome to have the young ones in the service today, and I am so glad to be up here um, able to bring the word of God to each and every single one of you today. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas season. I know that it was very different for many of us. I know myself included. Uh, we just really stayed home and, and made brief visits to a couple of our family members, but we didn't have big gatherings. Some of you may have had those big gatherings. Maybe some of you have built up immunity, or you just wanted to be with your family for once. <laughs> um, either way, Christmas has looked so much different for all of us this year, and um, the one thing that stands true is that it's all about Jesus today. Um, so many people in our community, just as we just prayed for, are suffering uh, from a virus. COVID has done a really good job of distracting us from the reason for this season. And um, I think it's really taken a toll on not just our bodies, but our hearts and our minds. And um, I think we really just need to take a moment and pray one more time that God would heal all of us, not just those that's struggling with COVID, but for all of those things that are ailing us and distracting us from the reason for the season. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, creator of all the universe, in this time of great need, we take this moment to just recognize you. Above all things, we recognize you and your presence in this room. You make your greatness and your power known throughout the world and in our lives. You have come down to us in this time of need to comfort and sustain us. May we see you and recognize the good that you have brought to our lives. We also recognize that this current suffering, while it's not good and it's a result of sinfulness in the world, can truly draw us closer to you, and may that be so. We see our need for you more and more each day. May we not become blind to your goodness, your healing, your truth, and your intimacy. Bring us near to you and work through us in only ways that you can do. We love you so much, and everybody said, amen. Now, as we get started today, I want to remind those of you watching online that we will be uh, partaking of communion today. So if you haven't gotten elements ready, I'd encourage you to get some bread and some juice or some other things in your home that you could use for communion ready uh, for the end of our service today. That being said, for those of you who haven't gotten a cup, you'll also have a chance to get one later as well. Let's get started. So we've been in this sermon series called, can you guys read that on the screen? Dwell. Repeat after me. Dwell. And today we're going to be talking about the center of attention. Uh, Pastor Jared did a really, really good job of starting our sermon series off talking about this guy named, do you guys remember the children in the room? You guys were actually here when Pastor Jared talked about this. Do you guys remember the guy's name we talked about? Starts with a J. Joseph. Can you guys say that with me? Joseph. And he actually had all of the children in the room make a sound because of the groaning that they did due to their enslavement. So these, these Israelites, they got to this promised land in a sense where Joseph brought them. And after Joseph died, a new Pharaoh came into place. They were put back into slavery and they were groaning. And do you guys remember what sound you made to rep represent that groaning. You made the sound of a cow. So what I want you guys to do, all of the kids in the room, on the count of three, make your best cow sound. You guys ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I'm ready. I don't know about you. I'm a kid at heart. Here we go. One, two, three. Moo. <laughs> when we cry out to God, maybe you don't sound like a cow, but when we cry out to God, it can be for one of two reasons that Pastor Jared uh, told us. One, it can be to represent our need for God in our lives. Some of us may not have God in our lives, so we groan out to him saying, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. And the second reason is because we have a specific circumstance that we really, really, really need his intervention in. On December 6th, Pastor Chris reminded us that we need to seek out for God in all of these circumstances. When we're lost, we need to seek out for God. When we are in an unfamiliar place or an unfamiliar territory, we need to seek out for God. When we don't know which way to go, we need to seek out for God. And then Pastor Jessica, the week after that, asked us to make a space in our lives for God to fill. Because without that space, we kind of reject God. We push him to the side. So we need to make that space for God in our lives and allow him to fill it. And Pastor Jessica said this, His presence will give us the incomparable guiding meaning in life we all so crave. He gives us identity. When we allow him to fill that space, he defines everything that we are. And he will give us rest, and he will give us peace. And last week, Pastor Chris hit it home, and if you missed it, I'm going to say it, and you can go back and watch the sermon, sermon again. God is with us. Amen? God is actually with us. He isn't just a cosmic being who doesn't interact with his uh, creation He's not outside of our lives somehow. He came to dwell as a human and even dwells with us now. And he came to this earth for the sole purpose of dwelling with humanity, just as we read in Revelation. He seeks to know us intimately. And we read in, in Psalm 46.10 that we need to be still and know that he's God. And it's not just being still, because God can be right there and we can be still. And I can look this way. If God's sitting in that chair right there, I can, I can be still but if, I, if I'm not knowing God in an intimate way, then him being there doesn't even matter, right? I have to know him and know him very intimately. He's here right now as I speak and as you listen, but so what? So what? Uh, this month, we haven't really touched specifically on the Christmas story, so I want to take us back to the beginning of the Christmas story. I think many of us have heard this Christmas story before, and we know the Christmas story to a T. You got Mary, you got Joseph, you got angels, you've got shepherds, there you go. You've got King Herod, who's a really bad guy, and you've got the wise men. You've got all of these people who the center of attention automatically goes to this baby named Jesus, and they respond in these different ways. When God came to dwell with humanity, the world stood at attention and responded out of the condition of their heart, each in individual ways. At the beginning of the story of Jesus' birth, an angel came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and proclaimed a blessing over her. And this is what we read in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, will, there will be no end. So this angel came to Mary and gave her this crazy news. She was frightened, but she was also willing to listen. An angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to fear and to go ahead and marry Mary, Mary, for the baby to be born is from the Holy Spirit. This was a big deal because when Joseph was, uh, encountered this news that she was going to be pregnant, he was afraid because he wanted to do the right thing. And if there was a baby in this relationship and they weren't married, it was wrong in God's sight. So he wanted to do the right thing, but this angel said, no, marry her. An angel also appeared to some shepherds in a field, and if you know anything about shepherds, they're kind of the lowest of the low. They're like the bottom of the rung on the social economic ladder. They're not people you'd want to hang They probably smell like sheep, you know? <laughs> they're not the greatest people to hang around. So these shepherds, they encounter this angel, and they too are just afraid. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid if this bright, shining light appeared out of nowhere? And who knows what an angel looks like? I mean, it would probably be terrifying. The shepherds encountered this angel. They were afraid, yet they too were willing and listened. Now some others got news of the king of the Jews coming to the world, and they weren't so happy about the news. And maybe they were afraid too, just like everybody else was, but afraid for different reasons. A terrible king named King Herod sought to worship this baby Jesus. And I put worship in quotes because I don't think that was his plan at all. Um, but in reality, he had a more sinister plan in mind. Just like Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, King Herod was afraid, but he wasn't afraid for the same reason. He was afraid of losing his place. He was afraid of losing his power. He was threatened, and how did he respond? He got with all the smart people that he knew, all of the wise men, the religious leaders, and said, hey, how about you guys go worship this king and bring him gifts, and then, hey, let me know where he is. And we all know the story and how that ends. They kind of thwart that plan. And that, come, that gives us uh, the, the, the characters of the wise men. They did as they were told. And they, at the sight of Jesus, they worshipped him. And they gave him gifts. Yet God came to them in a dream and also warned them not to do as they were commanded. After the wise men fled from baby Jesus and did not go back to King Herod and report back, so too did Mary and Joseph at the call of an angel in another dream that Joseph had. They fled to Egypt as word had gotten back to Herod that the wise men had tricked him and did not return. They thwarted this evil plan. So Herod put out a decree to eliminate all of the male babies to and under in the area of Bethlehem and beyond in hopes that this threat would be eliminated. So now that Jesus is at the center of attention, how did they respond? What was their response? And, and you can kind of guess what their response was. And it's crazy to think that such a feeble baby could cause so much trouble in the world. It's just a baby, right? I mean, there's so many babies in this world right now, but I don't think any of them are causing just as much trouble as baby Jesus caused. The characters in this story all responded to the presence of the living God in their own unique ways. And oftentimes, I think of how I respond to the different things in my life and the different experience of, experiences that I had 
in the way that I responded to my own father. Uh, many of us have experiences with our parents where they tell us to do something and we know we should listen to them and maybe we don't want to listen to them, but I just want to talk about how I responded to my dad sometimes. Sometimes I'd get upset with him. Sometimes I would look back at him and say, no, that's stupid. I don't want to listen to you. But the fact of the matter was that he was always there. My dad was always there, even when it felt like he wasn't. And my response to him being in my life, whether I wanted to or not, was crucial to the relationship that me and my dad have now. My dad was always there. Don't get me wrong. He was always there. And even when I was mad, my response to my dad was crucial to the relationship that I developed with him later on. I'll always remember when my dad told me not to touch a hot stove. Has anyone else had an experience like that where your parents told you not to touch something you shouldn't? And you did it anyways, and what happens when you touch a hot stove? You get burned, and you end up crying like I often did when I did things I shouldn't and got hurt from it. <laughs> I knew that my dad was not going to lie to me. Other times I may have ignored his guidance and touched the hot stove and hurt myself. But he was still there. He never lied. He told me the truth, and I should have listened. I also remember a story my dad told me after I, I had actually grown up a little bit. Um, I'd always go down to the bus stop. It was not that far of a walk down, but for a little elementary student, it was probably a, a pretty long walk down to the bus stop. And little did I know, as, as little old me, walking down to this bus stop, um, I thought I was on top of the world. I was all alone. I wasn't afraid of anything. Like, my dad was still watching me. <laughs> he was still walking behind the houses in my neighborhood, making sure that I was safe. He knew that I was going to get to the place that I was going to, but he was still there to make sure that I was going to be safe. And he was watching over. He had instilled a confidence in me to take on this challenge of going to the bus stop, but he was still there to protect me. The way that I responded to the presence of my dad changed over the years, and as different circumstances came about, a divorce in the family, going through high school as an angsty teenager, um, going through breakups, going through college. Um, but I, I want to take our focus off of me and my dad for a moment and look at the way that these different characters in our Bible story here responded when the center of attention changed from their lives to Jesus. We're going to zip through these pretty quick. So Mary, I think I talked about this a little bit already. Mary, when she responded to this news of the angel bringing, uh, it's, it's good news, but it's also scary news. She responded with fear. She responded with uncertainty. But she also responded with gratitude because she knew that God had blessed her. And we get this uh, poem or this song that, that, that she responds with called the Magnificat. She responds with this gratitude. Thank you, God, for you've done great things in my life. Joseph also responds with fear. And at first, self-righteousness, like, like we talked about, he wanted to um, preserve his self. He just wanted to preserve himself, basically. He wanted to do the right thing, but he also wanted to have compassion on Mary. Ultimately, both Mary and Joseph responded in obedience in the end. They listened to the message, the message that God had sent them, and they also took the responsibility that God had given them to care for this little baby. The shepherds responded with fear at first, but only because of the awe and wonder associated with the divine. And they, they too responded in obedience. They saw this baby Jesus, and they worshipped him. 
King Herod responded with fear, not of God, but because of the power that he might lose. He responded with anger and conniving. He responded with disdain for the God who had come down to control his life. He didn't want anything to do with him. These wise men responded to what they knew about the scriptures. They, they weren't necessarily the, the religious leaders, but they knew a lot about astrology, about scriptures, about dream interpretation, magic. They, they were wise men to, to King Herod. They had this truth in their head, but when they experienced the true truth, they had a change of heart. They saw the sign that the Messiah had come, and they knew these prophecies. They saw this sign... And they ended up thwarting the plans of King Herod because they had allowed the true king to be present in their lives and they were completely changed. So now that Jesus is at the center of attention, it's Christmas, right? He's at the center of attention. What is your response? It's so easy to go through this Christmas time wondering and just, just go in with the flow. I mean, it's Christmas. We have Christmas trees everywhere. We have candles. We have presents. But Jesus is the center of attention. What will you do when Jesus actually shows up in your life? Or he, maybe he already has shown up in your life. How did you respond? We already know that he is dwelling among us right now, right? We already know this. Pastor Chris was super clear with that. Go watch the sermon if you haven't. I'll say it again. Go watch the sermon if you haven't. He makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is here. God is with us. There's no ignoring the fact that God is actually with us. He wants to be in our lives. He has our best interest at heart. And he can actually make a difference and an actual change in your heart. Perhaps today you hear the words, God is with us, and you don't know what to do with that. You could respond in a multitude of ways. Perhaps you know that this truth is, is true in your life, and you're grateful for it, just like Mary was. God is here. Thank you, God, for being here. You've done so many good things in my life. Thank you. Perhaps you hear it and you respond with fear. Perhaps you respond with arrogance. Maybe you see that God's here, and he's going to take away something that you really like. Maybe you have relationships, or maybe you have uh, desires in your life that are taking your center of attention and placing it on that thing instead of on Jesus. You know that God is with us, but you think you know better than what God or the Bible has to say. Perhaps you don't even know this true God, just like the wise men, and you want to know more about him. And maybe when you experience that true God, you can bow down before him and make him the center of attention. Today, know that God is truly here and that God wants to work beyond the incarnation to change your life. As we heard earlier in Revelation 21, God's intent is to be with us. Otherwise, we may end up in a place that we don't want to in this life. Today, the choice is to make Jesus the center of attention in our lives. And he can be here, but until we take notice and take action, it doesn't make a bit of difference in our lives. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20 says this. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, 
If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you, are, that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set up before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, listen to this, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. You see, making this baby, this feeble baby, this king of the Jews, this God of the universe, your center of attention, isn't a simple matter at all. It's not a worthless statement when we say that God is here. It is literally a matter of life and a matter of death. When we make him the center of our attention, he brings us the confidence that we need to take on the challenges of life. Just like my dad gave me the confidence to go down the road to the bus stop. I knew that I was safe. I knew that I could get there with his help. When we make him the center of our attention... He warns us and he protects us just like my dad smacked my hand and told me not to touch the hot stove. He protects us and he warns us. When we make him the center of our attention, he rids us of our arrogance that keeps us from truly saying that we need him. Just like Pastor Jessica told us, we need to actually say that we need him, open the space for him and let him come into our lives. We actually have to acknowledge that we need him. Because when you don't acknowledge that you need him, you're going along this life on your own. That's a matter of life and death. Because if you're going by it alone, you're not going to get very far. You need to make Jesus the center of your life. When we make him the center of attention, life works out in unique and special ways. Each of us has a relationship or can have a relationship with this Jesus. When we make him the center of our life, he does amazing things for us. He rids us of the distractions. He rids us of our arrogance. He rids us of the sinful ways. Take a moment and just think of what is taking your attention away from Jesus being the true center of attention. Are you caught up in doubt? Do you think that you're too smart for God and his word? Are you afraid of what you might lose if you take your attention away from whatever that is and put it solely on him? Are you overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life so much that you don't see this light shining up above, up above guiding you to him?
There's so many things in this life that can take us away from Jesus being the center. So many places that we can go where Jesus has said, don't go there. So many relationships that are unhealthy that God says, don't dive into those. And what I challenge you today is in each of those conversations, the way that God moves past the incarnation of just this little baby who is present and actually works in and through us is when we say, God, you are the center of attention in my conversations, in my relationships. So when you're having these political discussions with your friends and your colleagues and your family over the dinner table, is Jesus in the center of that? Because he has control. This is a crazy time right now. Is Jesus in the center of those conversations? As you gather with your family or have gathered in your family, think back over Christmas. Was Jesus at the dinner table with you? Was Jesus at the center of the gifts that were given? Or were those gifts more about greed? Or is Jesus actually the reason? Right now we're gonna take a moment to pray that Jesus would actually become the center of our attention. And for those of you who have already made him the center of attention, ask Jesus to shine through you so that others may make him the center of attention. Let's bow our heads and pray. The altars are open for those of you who need to make Jesus the center of attention. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending this baby Jesus down to be with us. We thank you for guiding all of our thoughts and actions when we make you the center of attention. We thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you so much for all that you do in every situation. Lord, may we look at our lives and let you expose those things that are drawing us away from you. Lord, may we truly put you at the center of everything, that we do everything that we say, everything that we think. Lord, may you protect us. May you give us the confidence that we need. May you teach us right and wrong. Lord, you are so good, and you do amazing things, and may we just claim that truth today that when you are the center of attention, our lives change. You are so good, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.